The CIS benchmarks are secure configuration recommendations for hardening specific technologies in an organization's environment. Each benchmark is the product of an ongoing consensus project involving the generous volunteer efforts of subject matter experts, technology vendors, public and private community members, academics, and the CIS benchmarks development team. CIS benchmarks are a key component of an organization's overall security against cyber attacks, and each CIS benchmark recommendation maps to the CIS critical security controls, or CIS controls. There are more than 100 CIS benchmarks across 25 plus vendor product families available through free PDF download for non-commercial use. CIS benchmarks coverage includes security guidelines that are applicable to cloud provider platforms and cloud services, containers, databases, desktop software, server software, mobile devices, network devices, and operating systems. Learn more about CIS benchmarks by visiting CISECURITY.org slash benchmarks. With your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Chris, what's up, man? Hey, Kyle. Long time no see, man. Busy night tonight. Yes, sir. It's been nonstop. What you drinking? Hey, guys. Sorry to bother you, but I'm wondering if you could help me out real quick. I'm not from around here, and my GPS stopped working in my truck. I'm not getting a signal for some reason, and I need some direction if you don't mind. You got it. You came to the right place. Where can we guide you to? I'm looking for a place called Barcode. This is it, man. You found it. No shit. Yeah, bro. What's your name? You can call me Bobby. Pull up a bar stool, Bobby. First one's on me. And since you're new here, Bobby, I'm going to school you on how we do it here at Barcode with a drink called the Class Act. Here's how you make it. One dash of Southern Comfort, one ounce of Advocate, half ounce of coconut rum, and to top it off, two ounces of pineapple juice. Wow, that's actually pretty good, Kyle. I like it here already. Well, speaking of GPS, a true security career navigator just walked in. I'll catch y'all later. All right, Chris, I'll see you next round. I'll take another. Alyssa Miller is a lifelong hacker turned executive, an internationally recognized public speaker and author. She has over two decades of experience in technology and cybersecurity. Alyssa, thanks so much for stopping by Barcode. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. It's really uh, good to see you. Yeah, you as well. Um, would you mind just talking a little bit about your background in hacking and you know how that passion 
led you on a journey into a full-blown cybersecurity career? So, I mean, you know, you said at the beginning, I know I gave you that bio, but I, I tell people that all the time, lifelong hacker, because I really have been. Um, you know, I mean, first of all, I was the kid who always liked to take my toys apart and figure out how they worked. So that kind of right there, pretty I- iconic of the hacker mindset. But, you know, I, I was four years old. My dad brought home a computer from work. So it was a big Zenith Heath kit for anyone that goes back that far. Eight inch floppy disks, by the way. Um, because he was literally, he kind of pioneered work from home, right? He brought this thing home over the holidays because they were converting, he was an accountant, they were converting the books and he didn't want to go into the office where there was going to be no one but him there for, you know, the two weeks over the holiday times. So he brought it home and when he wasn't working on it, he let me play video games on it. Um, so, you know, that got me started in computers, uh, you know, then it was Mr. Wizard watching him with computers on his show. As a kid, we had computers at my school. We were actually fortunate enough that early on we had TRS 80s. Later, we got into complete Apple labs, thanks to, uh, I forget what they called it, but Apple did this whole like box tops thing with schools and they could get a bunch of funding for Apple computers. Um, but when I was 12, is really when it kind of took off because I decided I wanted my own computer. You know, it's 1989. Yeah, you can now figure out my age, but, you know, <laughs> my OSINT is crap anyway. So, or my uh, OPSEC rather is crap. So, you know, you can find out anything. Um, I was going to disclose that later, but. You can't, you can't. <laughs> right. But uh, no, seriously, though. So I, you know, I, I went out, got a, a paper route. And saved up about $1,000, went to Best Buy and bought an Epson 8086 computers, an Epson uh, Equity One Plus. I actually remember that. Um, you know, and I later on, I got uh, a, a modem for it and I started messing around with Prodigy. Again, I'm really dating myself. Everybody's like, God, this chick is so old. Um, <laughs> Everyone that's listening is looking this up, though. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that there's some children of the 80s who remember Prodigy. <laughs> I mean, it was a competitor to AOL, right? So they send you the discs and you get 50 free hours. And then after that, of course, you have to pay for a subscription. And well, I'm 12 years old. I'm not going to pay yeah. for a subscription. I didn't have a credit card. How am I going to do that? Went to the library, started reading up on like UART and serial comms and the whole nine yard. And like, I ended up hacking in the prodigy and yes, I've looked, I am well past the, you know, the computer fraud and abuse acts, uh, you know, uh, statute of limitations. So I'm safe here talking about it. Yes. Um, yes. But uh, you know, I mean, yeah, nowadays, obviously they watch for that stuff a little bit more and you'd probably get arrested and it wouldn't go so well, but you know, at yeah. the time, you know, it was the thing. Um, and then I found my way into like the IRC channels on undernet when, you know, the internet became a thing, um, you know, that was late teens and or actually, I guess, mid teens even. And, um, you know, early in my college career. Um, so I grew up in kind of that hacker culture in those, in those places, you know, we were slapping people with a trout and whatever. Um, now were your friends into it too? Like, were you surrounded by friends that were into that or were you no, sort of that, a loner in that space? That's the thing. I was kind of, I mean, I don't want to say I didn't have friends. I did, but you know, I didn't have a lot of friends in school. I was bullied in school. It was, you know, 
Um, and so the hacker community was like kind of, those were my people, right? They were the geeks who loved computers, loved taking things apart. You know, guys would come in there talking about freaking and stuff. I'm like, oh, this is, this is cool. <laughs> you know, um, tried out a few techniques at, you know, different locations for different reasons, but, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was really cool. Um, they were, I mean, they were just the people that I identified with. But, now, were you getting all this intel online or did you actually know people that, that you... Oh, they, these were all just people I knew online. I didn't know any of these people in real life, but that was the magic of it, right? Yes. Like no one knew anybody from anything. You didn't know anybody's background. You didn't really care. All we right. cared about was we were there to talk about hacks and yeah, I mean, people were jerks to each other sometimes, you know, and uh, but at the end of the day, it was like, these were my people. We all kind of understood how each other thought. And that's what we wanted to do. We just wanted to, you know, we wanted to deal with the digital computer systems that most people thought we were like insane for. I mean, even in the early 90s, you know, the internet starting to do its thing. You know, a lot of people still didn't get like, oh, you just want to work on computers all day? Well, yeah, because they're cool. They're <laughs> awesome. Look at this stuff. Um you know, and of course, again, you had like, you know, other people who were hacking other things, you know, um, you know, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was interesting and I didn't see it as a career though. You know, I, yeah. I never thought that, oh, this could be a job. Um, so, you know, I actually went to college for pre-med. Um, I had no intentions of getting into tech at all, but I'll tell you what, three semesters of college level chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> will wake you up to whether or not you actually want to be a doctor. And I did not want a, any piece of that. So scrambling to find a new major, found out they had a computer science program. I already knew how to program. I'd already taught myself basic and C++. And so I'm like, oh, this will be simple. Um, bounced around, ended up in a couple different degrees. I did CS at first, then I moved into like an MIS degree. And I think my final that I actually graduated with was like, back there somewhere um uh just information technology or whatever was the name but while i was in school still i got my first job i was 19 going to school full-time got a job as a programmer for a local company that was in financial services and you know i mean it was the dot-com era like they would take anybody who knew how to program anything and you know so that got me in the door into tech and then it was nine years later, someone from the security team who I'd worked with said, hey, you want to join my pen testing team? And I'm like, pen testing? I, I, I don't know how to do that. Okay, girl, yeah, you did. <laughs> you know, I found out quick, I really did. But uh, yeah, I ended up leading that team. 15 years with that company, I got out, decided I want to see the rest of the world, got into consulting for a while. I bounced through uh, you know, some roles with a couple different companies, uh, in like the vendor space. So a reseller and then a vendor. Um, and then I landed last, uh, yeah, very beginning of last year at a place called S and P global, which most of people know because it's, you know, they own the S and P 500, the Dow Jones, you know, kind okay. Of, yeah. Kind of important things that people have heard of at least once or twice. <laughs> and uh, so that was like my first foray into like true executive roles, right? I mean, I consulted with executives, but never, you know, wasn't actually myself in an executive role until that point. And then, yeah, more recently landed in the CISO role at Epic Global. I told awesome. someone today, my new rule, I only work for companies that have global in the name. 
um, <laughs> S&P Global, now Epic Global. I don't know who will be next. But no, so that's, that's hacking. That's actually my whole career history in a nutshell. Um, I think you ran through that in like five minutes. So that's very impressive. Well, it didn't take the whole show. So that's good. <laughs> no, that's good. I, Cause I do want to get into more, but congratulations on the, uh, the new position. Um, I'm sure you'll kill it. I'm curious to know what you explained in, in your passion growing up and, and hacking. Mm-hmm. How does that transfer over to a leadership role? Are you able to tap into that passion with your current role and, and having that, you know, leadership responsibility? Oh, I think so. Um, I mean, first of all, the tech side hasn't, hasn't escaped me totally. I mean, I don't pen test anymore. I don't know that I could really break into systems much anymore, but I mean, as you know, as early as two years ago, I was, you know, I bought a, a GPU and, you know, started messing around with deep fakes and, you know, just all the stuff in TensorFlow to, build machine learning models and some of the deep fake tools, you know, so I, I enjoy that and I still use that today. Right. But when it comes to the executive roles, there's a couple things. First of all, the former hacker persona, like I'll be honest, you can walk into a board meeting and that's kind of part of your bio. They actually think it's really cool. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it does, it actually gives you a certain level of credibility. Yes. And it's I'll, not common either. No, it's not. Right. And, and there's good reason for that quite honestly, because what you do find out when you, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who kind of see like a CISO role as, you know, the, the epitome of a cybersecurity career. Maybe it is for some, but as you start getting into those leadership roles and the higher you go, the more you realize it is less and less and less about cybersecurity. It is more and more and more and more about understanding how business functions and understanding the role that cybersecurity can play in that but it is a lot less about ones and zeros or, you know, what, what controls and things we're putting in place. Yeah. That's all still necessary. It's a part of it. So actually, ironically enough, I'm, I'm giving a talk next week on hacking the boardroom. Nice. Where you talk about this idea, you know, the way I look at it is I've had to learn the, the same things that I used in that, that curiosity, that passion, that, that want to understand how something functions and, you know, how to manipulate it to make it work the way I want to is exactly what I do when I walk into a boardroom. So, you know, at S&P, I reported into uh, seven regulatory boards and a corporate board. So that's a lot, right? I mean, uh, I, yeah. I don't learn it fast. Um, I mean, I'd done some board presentations before that, but really S&P opened that door for me to really dig in. And, and I did. I spent a lot of time just looking through resources, understanding, okay, how do boards work? Like, how, what do they actually do? What, do they, what, is, what is a typical board meeting like? Like, I've seen, you know, I've gone in and do an hour-long presentation, but when they do board meetings, they come in for like two days, right? And they get all their updates and everything else. I'm like, what is that like? What are these different meetings like? So yeah, I just, I, I did a lot of research. I read, and by research, I mean reading different books, um, talking to people who serve on boards. I also have the fortune of being able to serve on the board of an organization now myself. Uh, so I get to see a little bit of that world. As well as I, I'm on the board for two conferences as well, a little different field, but 
you know, similar kind of idea. And so, you know, I, I used that to understand, all right, well, this is what they're used to doing. Now, how do I use that to get them to react to me the way I want, right? How do I get them to, so it's a little bit of social engineering. It's a little bit of hacking, but at the end of the day, it, it is still just understanding how that particular system works and where it's vulnerable, how I can exploit that vulnerability, so to speak, to you know, gain the, the response and the action that I want. Now, you know, maybe less, a little less nefarious. I mean, I was never really a nefarious hacker. I like, never saw the value in like breaking things for people. But, um, you know, it's, it is at least like, I'm, I'm trying to do good, right? I, I'm trying to get these people to think differently because, you know, cybersecurity all too much is just looked at as still today, that cost center. And so it's really about how do I get them to see that what I'm doing is actually really cool for their business. It's like something that's going to help them drive revenue. It's going to help them grow and innovate. And those are the things that are really important. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you feel like that's that psychology is, is sort of embedded in you being able to just think differently, be able to, to do the mental research and, and understand how things work and then try to use that as an advantage? Oh, totally. I mean, it, it, it's, I'll be blunt. It's how I look at the world. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's my way. Some people, you know, are very good in other respects and they don't really care, like, how does their car function, right? Or, you know, how does, how does this cool little, you know, electronics thing? I mean, honestly, and oh God, I'm, I'm going to pick a fight with a lot of people right now. But the reason I use Android phones is because I can actually dig into it and figure out how it works. Apple doesn't want to let you see any of that. So I've never, that's why I've never really, and that's, I'm not belittling Apple at all. Apple has their place and they're a great fit in my opinion in particular for people who don't want to know all that stuff, don't want to customize it, don't want to have to know all that yep, stuff, yep. right? And don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously, MacBooks are great. I have used to have a MacBook, um, you know, and there's all sorts of reasons. So please don't blast me that I'm hating on Apple. I'm just telling you. <laughs> that's why I choose, you know, an Android phone in this case because, yeah, you know what? For me, I like that I can customize it, manipulate it, do all those things. I can easily jailbreak it if I want to, because that's who I am. I mean, that, that's just, that's how I look at the world. Other people don't. And, there, and that's not, obviously there's nothing wrong with that. There's not something noble about the fact that I like to, you know, deconstruct all my technology and know how it works on the inside. Yeah. But that's how I just look at the world. And so when it comes to other things, people, pe interactions between people, um, how I relate to other people, it's a lot of the same. Now, I, I would be awful, and I mean this, I would not be a good social engineer in the sense of like what some really cool people do with you know, social engineering, physical assessments, those types of things. I'd be the worst. Like, I'm a terrible liar. <laughs> but what I do feel like I do well is I have a strong amount of empathy and can figure out 
kind of what people are thinking or what motivates them enough that I can figure out how to talk to them in the way that's going to be most meaningful to them. Right. So I'm not lying to them. I'm not, you know, I wouldn't even call it manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just speaking to the things that they care about, bringing them the information that they need in a way that they're going to understand it and be engaged with it. So you can look for those indicators a lot faster than it would take someone else to get there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, some people, that's just not a skill that they particularly have or aren't really you know developed in. And that's, again, that's not a judgment of anybody. We all have yeah. things that we do well and things that we're not good at. I mean, I right. can give you a laundry list of things I'm not good at. Um, but you know, that just happens to be where I feel like I have a strong skill set, And I think it's why, um, you know, I, I've gotten into leadership roles and why I enjoy the leadership roles because doing that sort of thing is something I enjoy. Got it. So let's fast forward up to 2022. Um, as we go into 2023 now, um, you know, how, can someone break into cybersecurity right now at ground level? And let's take it from, I guess, uh, an aspiring professional perspective and then maybe a career transitioner perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so weird to me, honestly, because if you had told me, you know, 10, 15 years ago that we would have all of these academic programs, all of this academic research happening, everything we were screaming about 15 years ago that we needed and didn't have, that we would have that now and we still can't find people. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, we, would, we would have this massive so-called talent gap. Um, you know, people couldn't see me doing the air quotes when I said that, but trust me, we'll get back to that in a minute, I'm sure. Uh, but you know, it, I, I would have never believed it. I would never believe that this would be where we would, that with all of that in place, we would still be this awful at bringing talent into this industry. But the fact is we are. Um, So when, you know, I talk to people about, okay, how are you going to break into cybersecurity? It's not an easy thing because, you know, you'll have hiring managers will tell you, well, I want to see passion. I can teach anybody the tools, but I want to see passion. And then they'll write a job description that has requirements for 42 different tools that you have to be expert in every one of them. You know, like, yeah, I've seen it. Doesn't work. And so then we wonder, you know, okay, I'm looking for this unicorn. Why can't I find that unicorn? Well, there are how many, how many organizations out there use the exact same tool set that you use? None. We all have our own mix of different tools. We all use them in our own way. Um, So, you know, the first thing I tell people is if you're trying to break into cybersecurity and you're looking at those jobs, ignore all those those bullet points, right? Like they're not there as checkboxes. Even though some people like to treat them that way and you will run into hiring managers who do that, the reality is they're never going to find that person that fills all those anyway. Um. You know, certainly there is value in having that curiosity, demonstrating that curiosity and learning and, you know, doing some things on your own. Um, But the problem with all that is, you know, I think we've told people to do that for a long time now. You know, oh, oh, do your, you know, build labs and do all these things. Great. How do I put that on my resume? Oh, I don't know. Or, Mm. oh, there it is. But that's not actual experience. So I'm just going to ignore that. 
right? And that's what hiring managers do. And, you know, so what I do tell people is at minimum, make some kind of content. If you're doing that, that type of work anyway, make some content, you know, create videos, you know, do a, a TikTok channel or a YouTube channel or whoever, you know, write stuff on Medium. I don't care if you have five subscribers or, you know, 10 people that follow you. Just put it out there and put it out there in a consolidated place where now that is something you can put on a resume. And at least it, it says, hey, I did something in the cybersecurity community. Maybe it wasn't job expertise, but it was experience. It was a skill set I developed and I've demonstrated it and used it to teach others. So at least you got something. And the smart hiring managers will see that and pick up on that, right? Um, you know, the other thing, and now this is, I probably should have started here because this is the most fundamental part of it, but maybe you do some of those other things first. But the key here is know what you want to do in cybersecurity. Know what interests you. There is nothing more difficult for me, and I love helping people out, and I love helping them get into the space. The most challenging aspects of helping people out are when they come to me and they say, hey, I really want to get into cybersecurity. Can you help me out? And I say, sure. What, you know, what part of cybersecurity interests you? Because I don't know everything in cybersecurity. And if I can't directly help you, I'll connect you to someone I know who can, right? And then they're like, the response is, well, well, I just want to know all of it. Or I don't care what, I just want to get into cyber. Oh, okay. I mean, I get that. I love that. That's what you want to do. And even if it's just because you know it's a hot field and there's money here and there's job security here and that's the only thing motivating you, that's okay. But you still got to figure out where you want to focus because if you come in and you say, I just want to know it all, well, none of us do. Yeah. None of us ever will. Um, so it's all about you know, just sort of figure out where your passion lies. What's the thing that you want to do? So when you hit that point and, and they're like, I don't know where I want to go. Is there a, a, a resource or somewhere that you can point them to, to, to get introduced to the different areas of cyber? Are you setting me up to plug my book or what? I mean, we can um, hit it right now. Because, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, legitimately, the, the, the book I wrote, Cybersecurity Career Guide, that is like one of the first things that it talks about. What is cybersecurity? What are the areas of cybersecurity? What's going on with hiring in cybersecurity? And then how do you discover your own passions and desires and, and that sort of thing? And so to a little bit of a spoiler, one of the things I tell people to do is, you know, just go out and read cybersecurity news sites. Go to any, pick like five, go to them and and go through their headlines. Don't read this whole story. Just go through the headlines and grab five headlines on each. So we're talking 25 total headlines, right? Grab five headlines from each that interest you the most, that sound really cool or different. Put them all on a list. Now just look at that list. 25 is pretty manageable. It fits on one side of wide-ruled loose-leaf paper, if anybody still uses that. Um, you know, one per line. There are 25 lines. Yeah, I still remember. Is that there 25 lines? Yeah. Wide rolled paper. Jeez. Eight and a half by 11. Yes. <laughs> I still remember that. I never knew that. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> wow, <laughs> tangents all over the place about how old Alyssa is. Um, you take the 25 and you just look at those and you say, all right, let, let me identify the commonalities in them. What is the theme or themes that I can find in there? Are they about, you know, now, as long as I understand, first of all, those different areas of cybersecurity, right? Like, what is it? Is it because they're talking about, you know, some really cool investigation that somebody's doing or, you know, how people are addressing nation state actors or some really cool hack that somebody just pulled off? What is that? What are the things, you know, what, what's interesting you there? And then, I mean, that starts to give you that idea because now you can start to take that and you can apply that back to, okay, where do these fit in terms of the different areas in cybersecurity? And now that starts to give you some sense of what interests you. So like if I'm really into like that whole investigation side of things, digital forensics, incident response might be the thing. Yeah. You know, if you really like that kind of adrenaline rush of that situation, wow, get into incident response. I mean, that... I mean, I hate to say that it's fun, but it can be fun, right? Absolutely. I mean, and for some people, it's it's incredibly fun. Me, it means that I'm staying up at night, but that's, you know, that's the job I've chosen at this point. I have to, you know, but uh, you're CISO, so you're staying up anyway. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm there for those. Um, that That's that's not by, that's just part of the job now. Um, but, you know, so really just being able to do that. And I would say the same thing to somebody that wants to pivot. Okay. Now, the thing that might shape them more is, A, they might have a better idea. Generally, they do. They have a little better idea of where they want to go. Just because, you know, especially if they're pivoting from one tech career into another in terms of cybersecurity now, you know, you've probably been exposed to it. But if you've been working in just about any corporate organization, you've probably been exposed to your security team in some way. And so you probably have some knowledge. But still, understanding, like, what is the role that would interest you? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a role that ties back to what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. Just because you're a network administrator now doesn't mean that you can't get into app security, right? Um, Because you've probably been exposed to developers or at least, you know, the issues of what happens when people deploy software that you're not, your network's not ready for or something, right? I mean, there's, you run into all that. So you get a lot of the details. Maybe there's skills you got to shore up. But so knowing that is so fundamental to all of this. And it, it's, it's surprising how many people don't. But then it's really just, okay, now I've got this. And now whether you're pivoting or you're coming in from the completely, you know, fresh out of school, or you're pivoting even from, say, a non-tech career, like say you're a barista at Starbucks or you've worked at The Gap for the last five years, take a look at what skills you have. And then finding ways to tie those to skill sets, transferable skills, right? Things that kind of transcend one industry to another, find those things. So, you know, my infamous, if it's infamous, I don't know. um, (laughs) My favorite metaphor here is the barista, right? So think about a barista at your local coffee shop. What do they do? They're standing there. They're, they're taking a bunch of inputs really fast. If they're busy, they're getting inputs thrown at them from a number of different directions. They're processing those. They're breaking them down into tasks. They prioritize those tasks and execute them and execute them in the way that's going to be the most efficient. 
and then ultimately deliver a product. And many times they have to do all that while also figuring out maintenance activities and conducting those as well. Yeah. If I describe it in those terms, doesn't that sound a lot like what I'd ask a SOC analyst to do? Yeah, 100%. And, and that's what I tell people to focus on because you got hiring managers standing there saying they'll teach you the technology. Well, if you can demonstrate to them that that's a skill set that you have and talk to them about that in those terms. Yeah. Not saying every hiring manager is ready for that either. They're not. Like there's a lot of hiring managers. I'm still trying to influence hiring managers to understand this too. Like that, those are the, those transferable skills are the thing that are going to tell you if someone's going to be successful or not. It's not about whether or not they've written a hundred Splunk queries before. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we can teach them how to write Splunk queries. I can, Splunk will train them for free in many cases, depending on your contract with Splunk. So, you know, that's probably not the thing. I don't know why I'm picking on Splunk. I'm really not, but you know, <laughs> they're, they're just such a handy example. So um, I can beep them out if you need me to. I, I don't care. I don't, <laughs> I don't think you're going to sue me for dropping their name like six times. You know, that's marketing for them. So, but seriously though, I, you know, and that's the thing. So understanding what really makes a candidate successful and how those, you know, candidates understanding, yeah, this is something I actually do bring to the table. And valuing that, right? Don't don't downplay that, but value that, that that is something truly you bring to the table that's of value to that organization. So I didn't come up through academia, right? I didn't follow a formalized program when I got into cybersecurity. So I was always fascinated with the aspect of the unwritten education. Like to me, it's impossible to teach culture. It's impossible to learn how to obtain tribal knowledge, you know, the unseen rules when getting into cybersecurity, the pitfalls to avoid. So I'm curious, like in the time that you were on the practitioner side and leadership side, do you have any advice for those, those elements that aren't taught within the classroom? I think seeing the bigger picture outside of cybersecurity. Quite honestly, I mean, it, it's great. You know, you want to learn the, you want to learn the concepts, right? And that's what academia is great for. They'll teach you the concepts. They'll teach you the frameworks, all the things. But when it comes to practically applying that in a business setting where most of us do this work, um, you, there, there's not that level of connection, right? Like you don't see... The, the bigger picture of, you know, do I really need to require 14 character passwords because I know that those are, you know, it's going to take X amount of time to crack that versus, you know, crack a eight character password. I think, you know, some of that stuff gets missed. Um, you know, it, how do I even evaluate that in terms of business risk? Um, you know, is it, you know, can I look at a system and say, you know what? That system sits out there and all it does is consolidate and serve up publicly available information. That's probably not so important to me, mm -hmm. right? And in, in terms of prioritizing my, my applications in my organization, yeah, it's important because it's probably driving revenue or whatever. So maybe the availability of it is important. But if someone compromises it and exposes that data, congrats. Yeah. You know, you, you exposed a bunch of public data to the public. Good, good job. Um, you know, 
but so we don't, I think a lot of that context and how to make those practical applications is probably one of the things we miss the most. Okay. And then you, you mentioned it, right? I mean, there's, I don't think there's any way for academia to really prepare a person for what it's like to work in a corporate environment where now it's not just about the cybersecurity strategy, but the personalities that you're going to encounter, how they are going to respond to the things that you want them to do. So you're going to say, you know what, we're implementing MFA on everything. Okay, what does that mean? Oh, it means you're going to need to have, you know, this token on your phone or worse yet, you're going to have to carry a token (laughs) and you're going to have to use that to access every one of your applications. And then suddenly you get the pushback of, well, wait, that that application authenticates people from outside our company too. How's that going to work? Oh, crap. How do we do that? Right. And that's the thing. Like all the way that security has to mesh with the rest of the business it's getting better in some academic programs, but we still miss a lot of that. And I, I feel like you know a lot of the people I've talked to coming out of school, that's the part that they, they don't really get to see um, unless they've done like an internship or something like that. That's, you know, at least given them some level of that visibility. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you about internship or even mentorship. Like how does mentorship fall into this equation? Can they help with that? Mentors definitely can, and internships can. The the issue with internships, by the way, is that unfortunately what happens all too often is we give the people menial tasks, right? and that's all we do with them, right? And to me, and and that's not specific to cybersecurity either, right? I mean, look at what we do with interns in, you know, any number of industries, and that's kind of the, the thing, right? You give them some menial tasks that no one else wants to do that you want to get done cheap or free. Um, I hate that also that we, we still do unpaid internships. I think that's a crock. So when I look at internships, one of the things I look at is how am I giving that person value? Because they're giving me work every day for a very cheap price. The payback to them should be that they're actually gaining some really solid knowledge. So I'm looking at, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm asking to, them to do some of the more repetitive, simple, whatever tasks that we need to get done or low hanging fruit that I just don't want to burn a bunch of resource hours from you know people I'm paying six figures to, how can I make sure that they're getting value back? Because that that's the, you know, that should be the unwritten contract there, right? That they're getting that value. But mentors can fill a lot of that void too. Um, you know, just helping people understand. And it really it's I where I see the biggest value in mentorship is the the informal conversations, the yeah, informal yeah. setups. Like I know a lot of people are like setting up really structured mentorships where, well, we meet once a month and we talk about career goals and we lay out a career plan, and that's all good. That's all really, really good. But I personally have always found I can deliver more value and I got more value from my mentors. When we just sat down and we we shot the breeze and they shared with me things that were going on in their job, what they were seeing, how they were reacting, I did the same and we talked through each other's problems. We used each other as sounding boards. And yeah, that does go both ways. If you're a mentor, don't feel like that person on the other side of the table doesn't have anything to offer. They're an outside set of eyes with no preconceptions or biases from your organization. Yeah, Talk to them, like throw it past them, see what they say. Um, it, it doesn't hurt to hear what they have to say and they might say something that really clicks. So, you know, I think that's where 
mentors being willing to share that and talk about their experience in their job day to day and what they see. And of course, also talking about challenges they've overcome in the past and how and mistakes they made and how they corrected for that or whatever. That's valuable. That's really, really valuable for people, especially coming out of school with no real corporate experience. Yeah, I, I really like the the way that you phrase that in terms of it being a bi-directional mentorship. Like you're both going to be learning from from both sides and it should be, you know, that off the record type of conversation. I mean, that's the way that I like to to have my conversations as well. So it's just more natural. Yeah. And it's probably more enjoyable too. Yes. Agreed. So what are your thoughts on certifications? You know, that's a question I get often. Do I need a cert to get started in cybersecurity? Does it help? It does help um, for two reasons. One, I think it does show a little bit of a commitment to like, yeah, this is something I'm chasing. Um, Also, there's the much maligned idea of ATSs or applicant tracking systems that are looking for a cert. And if you don't enter a cert, you get knocked down in priority for the role. You know, so it does help to have something in there. Um, alphabet soup after your name is not helpful. Don't bother with it. Get a cert, especially if you're brand new and especially if you're paying for it yourself. Get get a CompTIA cert. Seriously, the most attainable, affordable certs out there. Security Plus will give you that broad, same broad scope of the CISSP without, of course, the same depth as the CISSP but for a price that is at least more attainable. Um, still kind of tough for a lot of people, depending on where they're coming from, um, but way better than, you know, a few thousand for a, you know, EC council or a, you know, God forbid, SANS with their $7,000 certs now. If you can't get your company, if you're not working for a company who was willing to pay for it, don't invest that kind of money in a cert. Get Get a CompTIA cert. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, oh, there's another organization. I'm kicking myself. I can't think of their name now. Um, you know, eLearn Security is now a part of another company. I can't think of who they merged with, but they always had really good material and certs. But yeah, get something that's affordable just so you can put it in there. You can say, hey, I did this thing, you know. Um, sometimes even like AWS or, you know, Cisco, well, Cisco is kind of tough. Um, but even Microsoft and they, they all, you know, Google GCP, they all yeah. have security yeah. certs related to like their cloud environments. So if you're working in a company now that's using one of those where maybe you can tie it to your current job, but also a security job, sometimes that's a cool way to get certs paid for. But yeah, certs at the end of the day, I had at one time four of them. I've dropped three of them. Mm. Um, there's only one that I keep. It's I have a CISM through ISACA. I keep it A because it was really hard to get. It was as hard or harder than the CISSP. And B, it just it, it's the one that applies to what I'm doing now. Right? Sure. I mean, yeah. Information security manager. That's who I am. So um, you know, so I keep it for those reasons. Um, I'm proud of it. I maintain it and I, I keep it out there. It's actually, you can't see it because you're all just in audio, but it's actually on the wall behind me. Um, I'll validate that for the listeners. I, I do keep the cert up there. So, you know, (laughs) nice. Yeah. It's security plus is always my go-to when people ask, 
Um, yeah. I think Cybrary actually has um, some cert program now as well. Do they? I know they have like badging and stuff, and that's at least something, right? Like you can even do some of their titles and go through and you know, and and things like try hack me and hack the box too. Like they have all sorts of stuff to at least legitimize the work you've done. So you know, those are all things you can list too. Um, and I wouldn't be shy about listing those in the cert field if you can. Um, you know, just hey, you know, play the game. You know, if hiring managers or their systems are going to force that on you, the hiring manager may not even like that. It does that. So, you know, just play the game, fill something in there. Just make sure it's justifiable, you know. Um, One other aspect I want to hit on um, quickly is, you know, I don't want folks to underestimate the power of networking and joining organizations. Um, There's many legit security organizations out there that cost nothing that that you can gain valuable information from and I, and one of those organizations is Wesis and and yep. I know the Wesis chapter in Philly very well. I know you have some involvement in in Wesis as well and I'm just curious mm-hmm. if you have any other thoughts on, you know, maybe other organizations that um you would suggest folks get involved with. Oh my gosh. There's tons of communities out there. So you mentioned Wesis, yeah, I'm I'm actually part of their equity advocacy advocacy committee. That's a mouthful. Um, I'm also uh, still at least somewhat involved in their, their uh, BSO affiliate, which I don't know if they're going to keep me now. I'm not a BSO anymore. I'm a CISO, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I, WESIS is a great one for women in cybersecurity. And honestly, you know, I mean, they want allies too. So if you're not a woman and you still want to join, please do. Um, there's, you know, Cyber Jitsu Society or Society of Cyber Jitsu, you know, any local chapters of various groups like, uh, you know, ISACA, ISSA, all of those. A lot of those, you can go to those chapter meetings and you don't have to pay or be a member. You can just go to the meeting. Um, you know, you, you'll get probably pressured to join, which, again, you know, consider finances on that because uh, some of them do cost a fair amount of money. But, you know, look into those, uh, the DEF CON groups, especially if you're more on the hacking side of things. Um, but actually check out your local DEF CON group, even if you're not in the hacking, because a lot of them are a lot broader than that now anyway. You know, Chicago area has a really cool group called BurbSec. Uh, I think there's one in Kansas City that's similar to that. I'm trying to think of what it's called. Down in Texas, if you're in the Dallas area, there's the Dallas Hackers. Um, so a lot of those are really good. And then also look for like, even just the local security conferences that you can go to local B sides or other, just, you know, area conferences that exist. Um, a lot of times the cost to enter for those is pretty cheap, you know, especially if you're like a student or something, a lot of times they'll have scholarships or they might just have free student passes or at least highly discounted passes. Um, you know, we do that. Um, I'm on the board, as I mentioned before, for two conferences, Blue Team Con and Circle City. And I know Blue Team Con for sure. I'd have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure Circle City as well have student level tickets just to, you know, again, make it accessible and help people build that network. I mean, I can't stress enough how important those networks are for even just finding a job. And I think you'll hear a lot of people in the industry tell you that, and they're not just blowing smoke. It's you know, my last three jobs came because of my network 
through events and social networking. You know, and, and to that end, you know, even Twitter and LinkedIn can be great places to connect with other people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and I I would urge everyone that's looking to get into cyber just go to one conference or or one networking event and and um and you'll be hooked. I mean, yeah. Two tips for that, really quick. If you're going to go to your first conference, a go with somebody. Yes. If you can try and find somebody who's been to conferences before who wants to go with you. Always great if you've got someone that can kind of show you the ropes. You'll feel far less awkward and far less overwhelmed. B, strongly recommend don't make your first conference DEFCON. There's <laughs> 30,000 people in Las Vegas for that conference alone, and it gets so overwhelming. You know, people who've been in the industry for 10 years will go to that conference and, ju- and who've gone to other conferences will go to that conference for the first time and be overwhelmed. So just don't try not to make that your first hacker conference, because at this point it's so huge. It will, it, it might give you the wrong impression. Um, it's great. I love DEF CON. Don't get me wrong. It's just, don't make it the first one. Yeah. That's, that's good advice. Um, Let's talk about your new book quickly, yeah. uh, Cybersecurity Career Guidebook. You talk to us a little bit about the, the driver there, what people can expect. Where can we find it? Is it out yet? Yes, um, it is out. It's shipping. Um, I've, I've been having it pop up in my Twitter feed over and over again because people are getting the book and tweeting about it, which is honestly really cool, too. Um, but it's from Manning, Manning Publications. So you can just go to their website okay. uh, to purchase it. Um, that is the most cost effective way to purchase it. You can go through, you know, the major retailers to Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's available through all of them. It is available on Kindle now as well. Uh, if you have other ebook platforms, you can get other ebook platforms direct through Manning as well. They have all the EPUB formats supported. So, you know, you've got all those options. It doesn't matter to me where you go to buy it. Um, but the easiest way to get there, if you really just want to get it and get it for cheap, go to alyssa.link, L-I-N-K, slash book. Could I make it any easier? I don't um, think so. <laughs> dot link dot slash book. Um, and yeah, it, that'll take you right to the Manning page. It takes you to the discounted page where you'll, you, again, you'll, you'll get it cheaper there than anywhere else. They don't have free overnight shipping like Prime, but you're also going to be paying, I think, last I checked, like $15 less for the book. So. Oh, okay. Got it. And I'll get that link up on the site too. So okay. it'll just be one click away. Now, geographically, where are you located in the world? I'm in the Midwest. I'm, I'm a little bit north of Milwaukee. Okay. I picked up on that Midwestern accent. Oh yeah. See right there. I just did it. <laughs> not even thinking about it. It happens. So yeah. Oh so, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, like in, in, in your area or you travel a lot, you've traveled you know, do. doing a lot of talks. Um, where's the best bar that you've ever been to? Yeah. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. <laughs> um, and I'm embarrassed because it's in my hometown. Oh. All the places I travel and everything else, I think one of my favorite bars I've ever been to actually is, um, it's called Blue. And it's on the top floor of the Fister Hotel in downtown Milwaukee. 
And what I like about it, see, I'm not one that's into high energy bars. Like I don't like the, oops, 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 yeah, or, yeah, yeah. you know, sports bars or any of that stuff. Like I don't dig any of that. I'm the type of person. I like wine bars. I like piano bars are cool. Cause they're a lot of fun, but you know, I'm, I'm generally more chill. Like if there's jazz or something playing and that's kind of what blue is, it's this, you know, rooftop bar. Well, I, not, I shouldn't say rooftop. It's not open air, um, but it's the top level. You have a beautiful view, not only of downtown Milwaukee, but of Lake Michigan. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's a lower key bar when they have live music, it's usually like jazz or something like that. So it's, you know, not ripping your ears off. You can actually have a conversation with the person you went to the bar with. Um, everything is very lounge style. So it's all you know, nice, comfortable chairs and little tables. That's my style. Bar. Yeah. And just, you know, so that sort of thing. Yeah, that honestly, of all the bars I can think of I've been to, I think that is actually my favorite. That's awesome. You don't even need to like leave town to go to your favorite bar. No. I mean, to be fair, I've seen similar bars in other cities too, but yeah, that's, that's the one. All right. I just heard last call here. You got time for one more? I got one more. Yep. All right. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? Oh, you didn't tell me I was going to have to come prepared. (laughs) What would I name a cybersecurity themed? Oh God, I'd probably call it we're in. We're in. Nice. Um, signature drink. Boy, that, that's, you know, that's a harder one. Um, just call it the happy dance. I mean, that's what I always did. I always did my pone dance, right? There we go. We'll call it the pone the dance. Pone dance. There it is. Sounds fair. I like it. I love it. Uh, Thank you so much, Alyssa, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, enjoy Vegas and uh, be safe. Yeah, you do the same. Hope to see you there. Take care, everybody. As you know, Barcode is where security and IT professionals hang out after a long day. So get your message front and center to our fans by sponsoring an episode. Learn more at the barcodepodcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at the barcodepodcast.com.